Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast, brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. This is a USA Today Network production, and your host, Graham Hall and David Whitley. I am Graham Hall, your host, joined to my left by David Whitley. Hello. My co-host, and we are back in studio. It feels like forever. It has been, because, well, you had a previous engagement, and I had a previous engagement right in the middle of spring. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, and you couldn't get it. Yours was a wedding, and mine was uh, just a, a long planned vacation. Getting but, out of Gainesville. Yeah, and it was good to get out, but you know, we still kept our finger on the pulse of what was happening. Oh, there. isn't that great about smartphones? It's kind of like a double edged sword. You know, they won't leave you alone, but at least you know what's going on mm-hmm. from you, day to day. Yeah, so I don't feel we were totally out of it. And we came back and, you know, they would pick up on what, what was going on. And yeah, same, same old like mid spring practice. Not, yeah, I don't want to say nonsense, but it's pretty predictable what's, what's happening right now. Yeah. They're going out, they're going through the motions, and, you know, we we can get a glimpse of what's going on. And, and the glimpse that, that we've gotten, it's, you were talking earlier, it's it's a little different than the vibe that was there before. It is, it is. And I was saying earlier, we have had different spring practice environments since I've been here, now in my, oh man, seventh season, mm-hmm. eighth season, excuse me, of covering the Florida football team. I have seen entire spring practices where we couldn't write about anything, mm-hmm. where we couldn't take video, photos, everything people want to see. I have seen 10 minutes of just stretching. Nonsense. Mm-hmm. That nonsense, man. It's, t- it's tough to write a story about stretching when, yeah. you, when you would say that, that uh, you know, the cornerback, his hamstring was slightly tight today. Yeah. They're asking us to write about injuries. When mm-hmm. I I've said that all all along, because all you can glean from that is, oh, so and so is in a non-contact jersey, or so and so is missing, so and so doesn't stretch out well enough, can't mm-hmm. touch their toes. You know, there's nothing really that you want to write off of that. So at least seeing how coaches instruct, I'll take that in a sense because it's not as bad as it could be. Mm-hmm. It's not as good as it could be. We're not seeing much live action. I think that that's important to stipulate. You need to say that what we're seeing mostly is is drills, instructions, yeah. not a lot of contact football. In the first week, you know, it's, it's, it's no pads. Three practices in, they start going to shells, and then you get to pads, and we're in the week right now. We're recording this Tuesday morning, and Thursday they're going to have the first closed scrimmage at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. So when you look at what this team is doing, the buildup, yeah, it's coming to somewhere, but right now you're really in the instructional stage, which is what we're going to talk about today. We talked about last week how Anthony Richardson was cleared. That was a huge surprise, I think. Mm -hmm. In the time since we have recorded this podcast, Emory Jones has officially departed. David, when we were talking 
last week, two weeks ago, excuse me, we were talking about why would Emory Jones be here if he wasn't going to spend the entire spring here. Mm -hmm. And then Anthony Richardson is a full participant. That was kind of a shock. Yeah. I I think as as smooth as they tried to make things look that first day, because it's funny, they bought both of them out and Emory was, you know, as as, as poised and and well-spoken and everything. But I think he probably saw the handwriting on the wall and that, you know, that Anthony was looking pretty good. I mean, you know, everybody thought if he was going to have any participation, it it was going to be limited. He didn't look limited at all. I mean, he was, even though they said he was not running full speed and all that, but it was obvious that he was going to get, you know, pretty much the full boat of, of, uh, of regular quarterback activity in the coming weeks. And he was looking pretty, you know, for a guy who had knee surgery, uh, over the offseason, he was looking like ninety eight percent. I think Emory saw that, and, and you know he's he's no fool. He knows where the future of this program probably lies, and if not if not Anthony, then there are other guys. And yeah, and in retrospect, you look back and say, well, maybe his you know, just he just wanted to come stick around and get his degree at Florida. You know, he can always come back and get it if he wants his diploma to say University of Florida as opposed to Marshall or wherever he may go. It's no big deal to come back for one more quarter and finish your final semester. I mean, you know, tons of guys have done it if he wants that UF degree. But, I mean, from a, from a business standpoint, if he goes and he's all that at a, at a, you know, at a, you know, at a mid-major or something like that, if he leads Miami of Ohio somewhere, you know, the, the guy will never have to buy another drink <laughs> in Ohio again, you know, because he'll be the man. Yeah. So, so, um, so business. It's good that he did this, I think, and you know, and it, it does clear up the the quarterback room somewhat. Yeah, it does certainly, and they're going to get another one here. We already know in Max Brown, and you know that the transfer portal is a huge thing. And, mm-hmm. You know, Florida could also add a quarterback if they don't like what they see in spring. We know that Jalen Kitna and Carlos Del Rio Wilson, two redshirt freshmen who didn't see the field last year, have been throwing behind Jack Miller as well with Richardson since Emory Jones's departure. Got to note that Jones has not said yet where he's going. You bring up the degree. The plan here is that he actually is going to graduate in spring at the end of April, and then he's going to assess the quarterback landscape because other guys are going to transfer out and you know, injuries happen. He could easily go to a Power 5 program and I think push another guy that maybe thought that they were the starter coming out of spring and kind of like a JT Daniels situation yeah. at Georgia. And, and, you know, some of those work out, some of those don't, yeah. and someone goes down, and then you're the guy there at a yeah. Power 5 school. But I'm a little surprised that he didn't want to go ahead and get in a full spring practice wherever he is because that would be a big advantage as opposed to just going in without ever having taken a snap into fall practice. I mean, it. you can make the argument either way. Yeah, I mean, he, as you said, he, maybe he looks around and says, all right, there's nobody at School X, so I can, yeah, I'm better off just going in with somebody with, with a yawning QB deficit as opposed to, to picking a school now. Yeah. But I, I, I think it's very important, especially when you're going to a totally new system, to get in there and get a full spring. But, you know, that's his calculation, and he made it. And, you, know, I, you know, we wish him luck. Yeah, you know, I think Florida fans have got to be a little bit grateful that he did it in the first week. Because yeah. imagine you go through the entire spring practice and take reps away from Richardson, Miller, and then the two guys I just mentioned who need to continue improving in a lot of regards and get as much instruction from Billy Napier as possible. So got to be grateful that Jones did it. And his note was very complimentary of the university. He thanked yeah. the fans, the coaches, everyone. And we got to be honest, he didn't have to go out there and thank the fans for no. the way oh. that he's been treated in a sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, no one owes 
anyone, anyone, you know, anything right. in a sense, but just to face, I think, the pressure and the disappointment. You could easily just have resentment if you're Jones. I'm not saying that the fans deserve the hate necessarily, no. but you Fan- could easily see why a young individual like that would be taking the treatment that they have gotten, the pressure, right. a little bit tough. So and to he, see that was just kind of heartwarming. Well, you even saw it when he uh, surprised people by showing up at spring practice. And um, you know, I wrote something, well, you know, it's good that he's here because really what's the downside? He'll take away a few reps. But if he does stick around, the worst thing Florida will have is a proven backup. And, you know, you would want a guy like Emory Jones as your backup. I mean, a guy you can just plug in in case of an emergency. And I got I got some feedback saying, ah, no, we don't want him here. Blah, blah. So it's the same thing. You know, people he let people down. You know, and and you know, shame on him. But you know, he it wasn't for for lack of trying. Absolutely, like he did, he did nothing wrong. You know, other than go out there and, and you know, he tried his best. It just didn't work out. And he, but for the you know, th- to hear the booze and stuff that he did hear and the pushback. You know, it's part of the game. But uh, we tend to forget that you know that he is. This isn't pro football, and it's not high school. But but so some boos are okay. Some some, but it still bothers me when a college kid gets booed when he's out there trying his best. Oh yeah, and, that, and that's what he did. And as you said, even to the end when he came back and people were still he was still pushing back on him. You know, he he just took it in stride and nothing but class till the end. Yeah, I, I still don't get the booing your own athletes thing. I'm I'm never yeah. one who. Has I I think done that, right. and I still just kind of don't get that in a sense. You know, whatever happened to cheering? Come on, get yeah. better in a sense. You know, right, right. And you know, we don't want to get too idealistic about it, but it, it is true that you know, these guys. I mean, yeah, you're getting a little paid for nil now, but but still, you know, it's there. You know, he what nineteen, twenty, twenty. It's still just to hear people who one second are yeah, 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 and and then they're just you know you screw up. Nobody feels worse than him, and and yeah, maybe they pile on. You yeah, know? you pile. Maybe a quick oh man, but but just to really boo him off the field, which is what happened, especially at F, you know that that was just let alone hop in there. their Instagram messages and right. messages their families, which you right. know. Yeah, but we're getting a little bit off topic. Yeah. We got to talk about the people that are here competing in spring practice here in the next segment. And then in the final segment of this episode, we are going to talk about the newly hired Florida men's basketball coach, Todd Golden. We'll be right back after this break. USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on any of our state news sites. We are back. With the Gator Sports Podcast, I'm your host, Graham Hall, joined on my left by David Whitley. Talked a little Emory Jones there in the first segment. Bon voyage. We wish him well. Yeah. I 
I wonder if any sports books take bets on where he's going to land, or where you know they're mm-hmm. going to be taking bets on oh. where transfer portal guys are going to oh, go sure. pretty soon. That's that's coming as soon sure. as sports betting is statewide over mm-hmm. here. You can oh yeah, you know, place well, why those not prop bets on everything, right? Yeah, yeah. I got I got six to five. It's Texas Tech. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, can you imagine? That's like there's got to be some insider trading involved mm-hmm. in that as well. You know, you know, he knows a coach, he knows a coach. You know, mm-hmm. that's going to be really. Dicey, who's going to oversight that, you know, we have some oversight over that. That's just incredible. But, you know, we are going to talk spring practice now and what we have seen through seven practices. We've had a chance to talk to a lot of coaches, some off the field staffers, analytics guys. I mean, Mm -hmm. man, this is quite an operation. They're rolling them out. Yeah, we got to talk to Ashwar Pira last week. I I wrote something on him in Gatorsports.com and in the Gainesville Sun. You can read it right now. It was about how he has become the director of logistics, analytics, and game planning. Mm-hmm. He's basically, not to insult him or anything, your nerdy friend holding that binder, yeah. reading all the test answers before everyone goes in to the SAT, and he's saying, oh, it's this, it's this, it's this, you know, so you're prepared for everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's his job come game day so that Florida doesn't waste timeouts, waste any precious segments, knows whether they're going to go for it on fourth down or punt or yeah. who you know, does it, what. It's always funny these days to talk to a coach, well, like from the, say, say from not this century. Yeah. Uh, you know, Spurrier, you throw it in and you go, what? A- analytics and, and, you know, what? Well, we, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and it's true. Yeah, man. We don't, yeah, come on. Come, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that is the way the game has evolved. And you know, it's not just football, obviously. It's, it's in, well, it's in business. It's in everything. But it it makes sense when you see it, and it's easy to make fun of these guys as just math geeks and all that, and and there's a certain geekery in, involved in it. But when you break it down and you see these tendencies that that plays have, and and it makes total sense that you have to ha- you don't you don't base your entire game plan on it, but you certainly need this as part of a, a component of it, and that's what Napier. I mean, you know. How, how, so you've got him, and but he's got assistants on top of that who just are on, on you know, and it's all it's all formulated so you don't get caught saying, oh, well, what do we do here? You yeah, know, do you want it also all on the head coach? I mean, yeah. that it, some great coaches have taken a lot of blame for their in-game management. Les Miles is one that I think yeah. immediately comes to mind. And so I think that it's got to be a big relief also for Napier that he can say, all right, now you got to go out here in the media and tell everyone that right. you're in charge of telling me right. when right. to take Statistic- a time out. Statistically, we should have gone for that fourth and 27 at our 20-yard line because it said that their defense played this, blah, blah, right. blah. And, and it's, but, you know, you still like, like the old school coach, I just go by the gut. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's a combination of, of gut and analytics these days. Yeah, and I, I wonder if there's going to be less praise necessarily that comes for that as a head coach. I mean, they're still going to get the credit for hiring these people and trusting their decisions and actually running to the referee and saying timeout or yeah. we're going forward on fourth down or we're you know running a two-point conversion right here in this scenario that may not make sense initially here but later the odds say that we'll be in this scenario you know they still are going to get a lot of credit but in a different way you're not going to have like the dan mullen smoking a cigar saying mm-hmm. ut chattanooga type thing when they mm-hmm. they win because they're going to sit there and say well we got to give it credit to you know coach pira or katie turner for landing this recruit so and so and so because they have put these support staff members out there and given them a chance to get that credit that so long has just fallen on head coaches, even yeah. though we know there is this, to quote Napier, support staff army yeah. in the building. Yeah. You know, I, if he ever has to get up and give an acceptance speech, you know, and thank the people who got him here, you know, that's going to take 18 minutes right now if he just lists, just calls out the names. But, you know, not, 
not to state the the old obvious, but you know, for all this other stuff going on, it really just gets down to the trenches and what's happening on the field and and you know in the line and you know those those offensive line coaches, defensive line coaches, you know, what are they doing? How is that working out? You know, and, and are they developing those guys and, and and you know what as much as the analytics matters and it does in those decision making, you know, it it's all about can you execute on the field. Yeah. And from the execution on the field standpoint, we have heard one word consistently since spring practice started and I gotta say that word is structure. Mm-hmm. Discipline has been one as well. But structure, you know, you talk about game planning, logistics, where so-and-so goes, handling the day-to-day aspect of where players are going to be so no time is wasted here. That is a very important process. And from what we've heard from players who returned, who played under Dan Mullen, Napier's practices are a lot more structured. Mm -hmm. They're getting more done. And when I heard that, I was like, all right, well, how am I going to pick up on that? How am I in the 15 minutes that we just talked about that we're getting out there where it is just drills? How am I going to pick up on the structure? So I tried to think back to how players would move in drills under the previous regime, to use a great word that we love. And it just kind of seemed a little bit slower Mm -hmm. in the past, as if guys were hesitant about where to go, what to do they do look like they are moving quicker. Now, again, mm-hmm. this is like we're kind of being sold a, yeah. a Shakespeare play here in a sense. So how are we going to know if they're you know, actually moving yeah. better, or just acting better in a sense? Yeah, I don't think that, that they realize that, oh, this is the 15, 20 minutes that the media is here. Yeah. And, and let's put on a show for them. It's obviously part of the entire uh, two-hour process that they have ingrained. And, and, you know, that is the main thing I think that people could look at when you're through with spring practice, you know, is there that discipline? Is there more more structure? Is is because it's hard, it's really hard even even with with what we see, especially but limited what we see, you know, to 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 judge whether this guy's that much better at wide receiver because you know they're playing each other for one thing. But you can get a sense of just the overall attitude of the team and are they and are they moving faster? Are they responding to it? And as you said, everybody we talk to says, "Yeah, it's it's different. It's it's more like yeah, even yesterday at pro day, you know, so what's the difference?" So everybody says, "You know, they're not wasting time. You know, you you go to this station, you go to that station, blah blah blah." And every and coaches always come. Well, we have twenty hours a week with these guys, and uh, and so you know, if you have a limited amount of time, you got to cram everything you can, and there's no time to waste. And you know, I, one thing to say about Billy Napier is, you know, he is Mister Organization. And he will, you know, if there's a second to be used, he will use it. Right. And, and, and unless they're just, you know, filling us full of hot air, I don't think they are. They've been using those words though, I think the entire time. So it would be kind of like, you know, the plan that he talked about when he got to Florida, my plan has been in place Mm -hmm. for several years and that he was using the same phases for the calendar. You know, Mm -hmm. I know that some horoscope people were probably offended that, you know, he's now divided the year into eight phases. I mean, that's not right. Yeah. But yeah, plan, execution, knowing where you're going from step to step, mm-hmm. what is the next phase that you're doing. I guess that's been a consistent theme mm-hmm. since he arrived, not just here in Gainesville, but also at Louisiana. Well, I mean, the plan should be work regardless of where you are. Right. If the plan, you know, it's just a matter of implementing. You don't want to blow it up. You know, you don't want someone who's just like, I, I've always done this elsewhere, right. elsewhere. You want to actually say, oh, I actually laid it out like this before. I, I know what we're doing and I did this 
Mm-hmm. Same thing step by step, and look how it worked out there. So, mm-hmm. and it's funny because you, you, when you see guys react like that and and hustle and stuff, you think, well, it's it takes you back to a boot camp kind of thing. Where I'm I'm doing yes or no, so that, but it's funny the the drill sergeant he doesn't come off as a drill sergeant. You know, he's yeah. just Mister Calm there, doing this, doing that, doing that. But I mean, it just shows you don't have to be that. That that ran or that screamer, because I mean, players know that he, you know, he controls everything. He has the power to you know, to, to make them a starter, or or just to banish them to, to oblivion. And you know, he he will do it based on their performance. So they know they have to perform. So they, right. they he doesn't need to get out there and you know have his eyeballs bulging. That's what you have your offensive line coaches for. And isn't also that a little bit psychological in a sense? Not to get a little bit you mm-hmm. know deep here, but you, you yell and get worked up when you're often well, yeah. anxious or stressed and if you have everything in place and you know what you're doing and yeah. there's a plan and you've seen it work before and everyone right. trusts it it's got to just be easier to sit there and relax and say all right you're going from here to here and yeah from seeing napier working with the quarterbacks right. working with all the units it's just simple instruction i mean you know he's not red hot in the face when he comes and meets with the media needing to be cooled down and put mm-hmm. a towel over i'm not saying necessarily some past coaches were but mm-hmm. you did see i think just a whole more anxious environment like we have to capitalize on every second and they aren't freaking out about that because they know that they are because the plan is in place yeah and it, it's funny you know i've you've covered i have where there's one i when i've covered the bucks years ago that the, sam weish was he, he could get a little hot in the head you know and, but the message got old you know and you can only go in there and and ream people out so many times till they turn you off right absolutely and, oh absolutely and and he he was he was fired, and they brought in Tony Dungy, who was just the opposite. And I remember the player said, you know, that it, they they would snap to attention more if Dungy just came in and cleared his throat because they respected him, you know, than it would you know with Sam Weiss bouncing off the walls. And with 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 Napier, you know, it's funny. It's almost like he has an ace card in the hole that you know if that day does arrive where he he, he wants to really get their attention and he and he goes nuclear yeah you know then that that will open some eyes it, same thing yeah. if someone is always getting yeah mad around you not only do you tune them out but you know you aren't going to get that mad or upset anymore when they get super mad at you because yeah. you've seen it so often. But when someone you respect is never getting mad at you and then you see them mm-hmm. disappointed or you know God forbid, livid at you yeah. and screaming. Then you're like, "Oh no, I really messed yeah. up. Now yeah. I I gotta fix this. I I can't disappoint coach." And I mean, there's a lot of people out there I know who stand by that just type of mentality, the player to coach trust in and faith relationship. And, and I think there are people who think that that's kind of fallen by the wayside in the transfer portal where you can just jump and go play for another coach and listen as if it's like a business type career relationship already. So it does kind of be like a, a breath of fresh air, I guess, in yeah. a sense when yeah. you see and, it. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you said, we, we see snippets of it, but I think it's enough to get a true gauge of what's going on out there. And regardless of who's out there, just just the just the uh, spree de court and the attitude seems to be all gun gun ho. And and I mean, yeah, they're going to say the right things right now, but I think that they're not just blowing hot air. Yeah, go out there and say it. Yeah, we're going to talk about a little bit of the player aspect right now and what we've seen just briefly. We talked about the quarterbacks in the first segment. Anthony Richardson, you know how he's improving. Wide receivers and tight ends right now. That is a big question mark in my mind. Florida lost five of their top seven pass catchers from last year. Saw Kamori Gamble 
head to UCF, mm-hmm. saw Jacob Copeland, head to Maryland, Justin Shorter, we talked about him two weeks ago, Trent Whittemore is back at practice, he actually missed the first three practices of spring camp with an unknown injury, I actually don't know what it was, but when he returned for the fourth practice, even though he was in an orange non-contact jersey, he looked really, really good. So that was a huge relief for Florida. But outside of them, tight end, that's a huge question mark. Who is going to catch the ball yeah. for whoever the quarterback is? That is going to be a huge question that we're going to have to have answered. Maybe not in spring camp, but in fall camp. It may linger all the way into August. Yeah, that seems to be the weak link right now because you know what you had coming back wasn't much. And you don't looking at who they you know, maybe you know transfer portal might bring somebody in, but it's true. I mean, there there aren't any game breakers out there. I mean, you, you know, Justin Shorter, he is solid. I would I would say you know, but and you know maybe Xavier Henderson, you know, he he's got potential, but so far he hadn't. You know, he's just shown flashes, but it's not there. But you know, you want. You want a guy that you get the ball to that can do stuff with it, and it you just you, you worry if you're a Florida fan that uh, that it's not there right now. Yeah, Justin Shorter has shown deep threat potential, but when it comes to the slot, I mean, we've heard Dejon Reynolds is maybe stepping up. Fenley Graham is another name to watch. Marcus Burke, he had a lot of potential coming out of his freshman season, but. Aside from that, who is going to be the guy? It really is a huge question. Yeah. We, we have and then not really the t- seen the tight ends were hurt. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, Keon Zipper. We got to mention. You know, I don't like calling anyone out, but you talk about highly ranked recruits that maybe haven't lived up to the billing. He was the number one H back. I know that's kind of a mm-hmm. falling by the wayside type designation when it comes to recruiting, but he was considered to be this hybrid type guy who could maybe be out of the backfield and maybe catch passes in the open field and, and make guys miss. But we have not heard him jump at the opportunity available. He was given full chance to take that, even though they have promising guys Mm -hmm. behind him and Gage Wilcox and Nick Elksness. But Gage and Nick are missing spring practice right now, as well as Jonathan Odom, who also is in the mix, the Tampa native at tight end. Right, it's wide open. To think that Keon Zipper has not jumped up really and kind of gotten any rave reviews even, let alone jumped at this opportunity he hasn't made any plays that anyone has mentioned maybe he is on the cusp of ascending into that role but we have yet to really hear his name as a guy that should be watched out for right now Mm -hmm. even though everyone is out and you would think that there's opportunity available right yeah uh, and maybe it's happening we don't see it and they're not talking about it but I'd be surprised if that because that's that's the kind of position that you'd think that that they would want to say, you know, sort of calm the fears. Yeah. And say, you know, eh, you know, somebody's looking okay. We're going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, but maybe they back to, you know, I appreciate the honesty. They're not going to say, say a guy's looking good or exactly. position is strong when it's not. Yeah. Scout me, scout me, scout this guy for us, yeah. please, please. You know, also maybe the bar is just so high with Kyle Pitts. Well, I mean, maybe yeah. you don't want to say, hey, so and so is is looking yeah. good, and they're like, oh my god, we have another Kyle Pitts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's spring camp. Yeah. They, they haven't even had a scrimmage yeah. yet. Maybe he dazzles and has two touchdowns on Thursday. We don't know. And then you start hearing about him. We don't know what they're going to do yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd still like to know if if a gamble sitting there in Orlando is thinking, man, what you know. I wonder what it was because it was there for the taking. Yeah, yeah. certainly. Yeah. You know, I thought he had a good season. Yeah. Um, you know, had several touchdowns and he had waited in the wings for a long time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you've gone through so much, a guy who did initially commit to, you know, 
Jim McElwain and mm-hmm. and was there for so long. And this would have been his third coach in five years within one program. And there's so many memories involved in a sense. You maybe just want to find mm-hmm. a new home. Mm-hmm. Um, that would make a lot of sense to me. But you do wonder if, I mean, maybe there's a little regret there in a sense, just knowing that Florida has this wide open spot for the taking where yeah. someone could get a whole lot of film for the next level. Yeah, may, well, you know, maybe we'll know when they uh, have a rematch in next year's Gasparilla Bowl. <laughs> I hope Florida fans uh, think that they can do a little bit better than Gasparilla Bowl yeah. this season because there already is a lot of buzz. You're seeing some players tweet out and say, whoever's sleeping on us now, keep sleeping on us in fall. You know, uh-huh. there seems to be hope returning to the sidelines here. And we're going to continue covering that throughout the rest of spring camp. We'll be back next Tuesday to talk more spring practice. But in this final segment here, we are going to transition and talk a little men's basketball. Todd Golden, how his coaching staff is filling out the loss of Malik Renu in a little bit more. We'll be right back after this break. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to the Gator Sports Podcast. I'm Graham Hall, joined to my left by David Whitley. Hola. And now, after talking some American football, we are going to be talking some men's basketball. American. Of course, it's an American game. It is. It is. And, you know, right now, Florida has their golden man Mm -hmm. in America, they believe. The man they believe will lead... The program back to the heights that Billy Donovan the, the led golden, them to. The golden time. Let's get all these golden uh, uh, you know, puns out of the way right now. The heights are extremely high, and so obviously the golden name. I thought that that was that had yeah. to be some time. You know, they called it the golden era yes. right away. I mean, talk about mm-hmm. oh man, mm-hmm. not just like I was actually you know driving through the golden arches when I heard about it, <laughs> and I thought, oh, there, there's a. That's a that's an omen. Actually, oddly enough, I was actually I I was on vacation and I flew into of all places San Francisco, and when when the news broke, and I thought, well, so I I, uh, I actually tried tried to catch up with Todd Golden that what day. What an intrepid no, no, reporter! Yes, I, I I thought it would look so good. We were ahead of the search. Yeah, says I knew. But, now, now you all know. <laughs> the admit, secret is I, out. I uh, you know he was one of those names that was thrown out there along with about fifty others. But yeah, it made sense. I was up Tuesday night watching that Murray State San Francisco game yeah. and I got to admit when it got to overtime I'm sitting there thinking how is San Francisco even in this game because they did look overmatched you know I forget that Murray State is in the hotbed of Kentucky so they get players that come from schools mm-hmm. that the SEC maybe wants to take a look at but is just right below that power 6 level and but also 
you know, the the Big Ten is right there, and yeah. they're five miles, you know, five hours yeah, that's from ba- Ohio. That's it's, basketball country. Yeah, and you just don't really think of San Francisco. No, not let since, alone the Pac-12 not since era. The 1950, you know, when people when you say. Bill Russell in yeah. San Francisco? Only the Golden the State Warriors, you know? They're kind of like, yeah. that's about it for me right now. So when I saw that they were in this, I was like, okay, this is very impressive. Mm-hmm. And, and then I looked up Todd Golden, and you saw that story that Chris Harry did for FloridaGators.com where he said that Scott Strickland got a text, and he was up watching the game too. And, yeah. you know, he had a lot of interest. And I heard from a, a source that there was a good bit of, interest from Jay Jacobs part who worked with Todd Golden at mm-hmm. Auburn for three seasons it was a two seasons excuse me it was a huge game for them because there were a lot of fans that wanted Matt McMahon also the coach then of, of Murray yeah, State it, it was funny because you're looking at that and you're you're thinking well is Scott Strickland gonna you know is he down to these two and will he go with whoever wins right that kind of thing but it, I yeah, think the it, Florida it, coach yeah Bowl. Yeah, but I think his mind was made up because, you know, it's not as if Scott Strickland didn't see this come, even though he had no intention of, of getting rid of Mike White, Mike White. But, you know, any any good administrator has the old, you know, in case I get run over by a car or one of my main employees, I need some. So he had his list of potential can, you know, candidates and he did his quick vetting and, and you know, here, here we, the old check all the boxes and Todd Golden, you know, d- did the burial checking of all the boxes. Yeah. And if you look around at what happened in the SEC, a lot of these big names leaving Ben Howland, you name it, obviously Will Wade. And then how these finally Will Wade. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Right. And then these programs, how they replaced them. It weren't they weren't any splash hires. Oh. And I think that there were these people that maybe had, I don't want to call them naive, but they had these just lofty hopes that you would get this incredible pull a coach away and give him a seven-year, right. $70 million contract. Right. That wasn't going to happen. Matt McMahon is now at LSU. You look around at where some of these coaches have gone. Mississippi State going with Chris Jans. I mean, this is just... <sighs> That's the way this, you know... It's the reality. Basketball is not football. Yeah. You know, where you have to go in and and make that, like the the Brian Kelly, $90 million, you know, guaranteed kind of, you know, the, the Jimbo Fisher kind of thing. You know, for, for one, there are more jobs available. You know, actually, they're not, I mean, the same amount of schools, but it seems they come up more often and you... you you're you're much safer bringing in a guy like this on the, you know the the proverbial you know is he the next Billy Donovan kind of guy? Yeah, and I I always told people when when Mike White goes whoever initiates it, you were going to essentially again re-roll the dice on a mid-major hire. You know that's the reality, and it could be wor- worse, mm-hmm. but it also could be a lot better potentially. Yeah, you know in terms of success. Yeah. So that's just the reality, and I think a lot of people just want to believe well the guy who is going to come in is going to be a lot more acclaimed like your Tennessee hiring a Rick Barnes type or or like right. Auburn and, and, hiring Bruce yeah, Pearl and, and it's funny you know now you, you mentioned Rick Barnes he's like yeah he's good but he can't win he yeah. can't you know he, he can't get past the sweet 16 yeah. so they're happy but they're not happy yeah and they know? won that first SEC championship but it was in the first in what 41 years yeah and so people are talking like oh that's a consistent thing is if Florida not winning an SEC championship under Mike White in seven seasons is this, you know, travesty mm-hmm. that has never happened. Well, you know, I got to break it to you. That's pretty rare to go yeah. out and win the SEC championship yeah. or let alone go 18 and 0 in the conference, which Florida did under Billy Donovan not too long ago. There were a lot of fans. I was going to college here when we went 18 and 0 in that season and just how 
people felt there, you know, the energy. That's so rare to do. Mm-hmm. You got to realize that it's not this thing that is so no. common. No, every, everywhere is not Cameron Indoor Stadium. Yeah, it's yeah. not. And the fact that that really created it here was, you know, a, a, a harmonic convergence of a lot of factors. But it did show that it can it can be done. And you know, Golden, I you know I missed the press conference because you know we both had our things. But I'm really looking forward to just just getting around and seeing how he operates because you know he. He, he's very, very, you know, the whole, as we mentioned earlier, the analytics part. Analytics really plays a part in basketball. You know, right. Football, but, I mean, and, you know, there there have been examples where he used it. Where he said, Why did, but it made sense, you know, fouling a guy, you know, with, with, with 12 seconds left, you know, and that normally you wouldn't do, but put him on the line. And he's a 58% free throw shooter. So he misses one and you get the ball, you hit a, hit a three. I mean, stuff that, that the old school guys would never do. But you know, it, it works out. Yeah, I, I think the analytics are so interesting in basketball because when you're a coach, you're going to be giving players so much information. And oftentimes you're going to be like, well, why? Well, why? Well, why is this going to work? And when you can just point to the numbers, it's got to make that process easier between both parties because you can say, well, this is what it says. Yeah. This is not just my gut like we were just talking about in the second segment. This is what the numbers say. And as a player, it's just got to be easier to accept. And having just a player that kind of came up from that there was a 10-year gap between when Mike White played in the late 90s and when Golden was at St. Mary's Mm -hmm. in 2004 that gap and when he started as assistant just maybe made him embrace in the earlier part of his assistant coach that analytics aspect a little bit more Mm -hmm. and we have also had a huge change in analytics recently so it's just something to think about right and you know he was doing analytics as a player you know, because um, I don't know if you were talking about someone uh, the other day was mentioning how they they had broken down his his playing days at St. Mary's and how he switched. You know, was trying to from point guard to shooting guard and how he would be better off as a you know working on his three pointers and and how how much more efficient it was to shoot the three than the two and all that. You know, he he was working that in his head as a as a as a as a, uh, as a player. Wow. So it's a natural thing for him. It's not like he's he's being he's one of these guys who says ah what what is this analytics stuff and I hated math but I'm going to do it. No, he is into it. Yeah. But, I mean, I, but he's obviously obviously smart enough too to know that you know I can't base my entire thing on analytics. But I think probably it plays more of a role in basketball. I mean, just the transformation of the whole game of basketball from what it was 15, 20. Because now, I mean, you'll see see four guards out there on, on a, you know on a starting right, and I'll because they can all shoot threes. Yeah, and and because so many guys when they're six ten, like some of the guys that Florida hopes are going to come in here and actually you know honor their. Um, National letters of intent. Yeah. You can all, if you have ball handlers, they don't have to be necessarily just six feet. I think that that yeah. you know line of thinking is a little bit more archaic. You talked about analytics and and what you can put on players because the game has changed so much and and so much more can be quantified in a sense. You have to find that balance between a coach as a coach between putting that on players and not overwhelming them yeah. because so much of what they're learning is new team defense schemes sets offense you know so much of what they're doing is just at a higher level than they were doing at the AAU prep level and you can't overwhelm them or you or you risk yeah. you know blowing that progression then you wish that basketball had a spring practice like football yeah 
because you could get a, a, a sense of what what will happen. Yeah, only June yeah. is yeah. the option. So yeah, because yeah. uh, and you know that roster now is just such a question mark. Because you know, I mean, as you mentioned, they've lost one one recruit. Uh, you know, they'll try to hold on, and and the fact that. I mean, it's not surprising that that you would lose one because, but uh, and I'm sure that they have been in constant contact with everybody, and you know talk about the transfer portal being important. Uh, I'm sure he is going over everything and trying because they they need some bodies in here. Yeah, we're going to talk about that real quick. The roster of Todd Golden's first inaugural season in Gainesville is starting to take shape, and as everyone saw last year, before there can be some additions, there. Are are going to be some departures. It doesn't mean the sky is falling. The first two that we know of, we saw that Florida honored seven seniors on Senior Day in that regular season loss to Kentucky. One of them was Tyree Appleby, but I had been hearing that Tyree Appleby was planning on exercising his additional year of eligibility and returning to the program. Obviously, that was before Mike White's departure, Mm -hmm. which did shock a lot of people within that program, just how abrupt it was, and before really the SEC tournament, I mean, before the NIT. So just plans change, Mm -hmm. and player meetings happen once the coach gets on campus, and Tyree Appleby, I think from what he was able to gather upon meeting Todd Golden, has learned that a split would be the interest of both parties. Now, obviously, we don't know who initiated that, but we've said time and time before, four-year scholarships are are a myth, in a sense. They are renewed each year with the transfer portal era, and a coach, when they come in, can say, hey, you don't fit my system. You Mm got to go. I'm sorry. Best of luck to you. And he can go and transfer somewhere else for the third time now in five years, and that is what Tyree Appleby announced that he is going to do, as reported by John Rothstein. Yeah, and... You know, Tyree was always fun to watch because he was so herky. And, and but it was he was sort of a typical of that team that you never knew what you were going to get night in and night out. You know, you could get Tyree would get hot. You know, it'd, it'd be a, a you know a, a, a nine for fourteen shooting game and and assist and all that. Or you know, like in the last game uh, in the SEC tournament where he just you know it just wasn't there. You know, I think it was two for eleven. They they sat him on the bench to the last minute. Uh, it, you just nice guy you know and and he always gave you his all i mean he spent more time on the floor you know just, just uh trying to get up after getting beaten down yeah. than anybody yeah and small he yeah, was a small guy small but you know he he was he wasn't really a point guard he's a shooting guard and a point guard that's body. that's it exactly yeah. you know florida attempted to use myron jones as a point guard earlier in the season and and tyree again more of a true two guard and what i always said was it was kind of unfair to judge him based solely off of the turnovers because you're asking him really to be this you know ball dominant point guard that he really is not he is florida's best at creating space and shooting off of the dribble even though he's kind of an undersized too he, he really kind of is like a a colin sexton type at the nba level who you think he has point guard size but really just is this, this two guard but because of Myron Jones and Brandon McKissick being not able to, I think, fully run the offense that Florida yeah. wanted to run with, they didn't have the speed and and finishing ability. Tyree won that role as well, so he was kind of playing both roles. Yeah, he, he was he, a scorer and he, the facilitator. Yeah, he's, he's a bit miscast just yeah. out of necessity. Yeah, and you know, hopefully he sort of like Emory Jones, he, he'll find somewhere where it, the, the role is good for him and he can excel. Yeah. I thought he was actually really effective. You know, he he did score in double digits and and 
two-thirds of the games in the end of the season. We always don't know. I always try and keep this in perspective. We don't know what injuries a lot of these guys are dealing with because they're going to have to keep playing through them. And he came out and he left that game at at Kentucky with that thigh bruise and was not able to play at the same level, I thought, because he didn't have the same spring coming out of his shot and and just was very off the mark, I thought. And I would like to attribute to think because of how good he was earlier in the season that there had to be a, a lot of that that played into that in Florida attempting to kind of find some success on offense outside yeah. of him but he was their best offensive weapon for much of the season yeah. outside of Colin Castleton. Yeah. Speaking of which, do you have any gut on him cuz you know he I guess he had surgery on his on his shoulder, you know, and he's trying to recover now. Uh, I I assume he's gone, but who knows? I mean I assume Emory Jones <laughs> was gone, but yeah, it it would be boy, you know, talk about a, a plus if he came back, and if uh, Golden can talk him into that, saying, "Hey, you're better off, you know, rehabbing, coming back, and blah blah blah." Same thing he that he came back this year. I mean, he should have come back this year because he wasn't ready. I don't know if he's he wants to go through this again, uh, you know. But uh, you got a gut on that? Yeah, I think you have seen the last of Colin Castleton here. I think that just knowing the international opportunities, yeah. the, the G League, he can go somewhere else and and I think play it at a high level and make some money um he may use that extra you know season of eligibility but I think he will test the international waters try and latch on somewhere he needs to I think he knows this obviously I'm not saying anything he doesn't know but he needs to I think continue working on spacing the floor and adding size to his frame but I could easily see him his game is suited for another 15 years, I could easily mm-hmm. see him developing yeah, into a he, good prospect. He's got a shot. Yeah, you know? I mean, absolutely. It, it, it's not like you see him out yeah, there. Yeah, he's got an 18-foot jumper now. Uh, and he just needs, as you said, develop more of the open floor type of type of game. But you know, if it is a money thing now, uh, attention NIL, Florida, attention. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know we, we think uh, of these guys, uh, that, how we right. see him in games. You know, I know he didn't hit a three right. this season, but, you know, on an open floor, Colin regularly hits 70 out of 100 three-pointers. He mm-hmm. did it last year for all his NBA workouts. So, yeah. you know, it, when we you watch know, maybe, him in game, we yeah. forget yeah, all this maybe stuff. Maybe Todd Golden can, can sell him on that, saying, you know, I'm playing a more wide open thing, and I can get you that kind of development yeah, with, absolutely. My, with my system. Yeah, well, the guy who was going to come in, and if Colin left, replace him at the five spot was Malik, who was the top five uh, center, let's call him that, you know, even though we, you know, got forwards mainly yeah. here at the college level, he announced that he is decommitted from Florida, has opened up his recruitment, one of the top 30 prospects in the nation who from Hialeah who transferred to IMG Academy and signed with Florida in the early signing window in November of last year. He is going to open it back up. So plenty of spots available and Florida is looking for another guy to add alongside yeah. Tyree Appleby now. Yeah, as I said, you know, he that transfer portal. You know, yeah, he's got he's got to bring in some players. Yeah, it, you know, he does. Yeah, but I mean, about this time last year, everybody was leaving, and it was and people were were you know wringing their hands and oh my god, it's the end. And you know, exactly. then, then suddenly within a week, you know, he bought in, you know, guys that you didn't but didn't know, but you know, Flanders, Fleming, blah blah, blah you know, that and you know, he patched it together. Yeah. And you think of who they lost, Osayo Sifo, Quez Glover, mm-hmm. you know, all those guys, they were averaging less than four points yeah. per game at Florida. So it, they weren't necessarily bad decisions by any means, yeah. I think. Yeah, and it's it's just the reality of, of the world now is that, you know, that this year's roster is not going to be next year's roster. Yep. And so, it, you know, I, I think as, as sparse as it looks right now, you know, in, in – Two three weeks, you know it, that he'll have, you know he'll have enough players where you go, yeah okay we can work with this. Yeah, you have to learn a new roster every year it seems, and we're always here to break that down and talk about it all. 
You have listened to another episode of the Gator Sports Podcast. We will be back next week to talk more spring practice. I'm sure some crazy news will have popped off by then, but we'll be back. See ya. See ya.